This is Business Dad. On this episode, Alexis Ohanian talks with MediaLink CEO Michael Kasson about Sunday family dinners, giving his children a voice in family discussions, and his pride in seeing his grown children maintain family traditions with their own kids. MediaLink was founded by Michael in 2003 and operates at the intersection of media, advertising, and entertainment, offering marketing and business consulting services. Earlier in his career, Michael was president and COO and vice chairman of Western Initiative Media Worldwide. He was also president and COO of the home video company, International Video Entertainment. In 2019, Michael was inducted into the American Advertising Federation's Hall of Fame. Michael and his wife, Ronnie, have three children and six grandchildren. This episode of Business Dad is brought to you by Jinx. As an investor and proud dog parent, I'm excited about their mission. They're changing the way you feed your pup with kibble that is inspired by modern doghood. Because let's be real, dogs today are not the same as their ancestral wolves. Instead of hunting, they're chasing flies in the kitchen. Instead of fending for their lives in the wild, they're competing for a spot in our beds. Our dogs' needs have evolved, and they require a different nutritional profile to live their best and healthiest lives. So that's where Jinx comes in. They worked with top pet nutritionists, vets, and formulators to cook up three new recipes to promote a complete and balanced diet for today's dogs. Lean proteins and superfoods? Check. Vitamins, minerals, and a patented probiotic? Check. Plus, they never include any corn, wheat, soy, fillers, or any artificial ingredients. This kibble is the real deal. Jinx offers free shipping direct-to-dog nationwide, so you can get the goods straight to your pup's bowl. They're even hooking up our listeners with 20% off their first order of kibble. Just go to thinkjinx.com and use code BUSINESSDAD. That's right. Head on over to thinkjinx.com, enter BUSINESSDAD at checkout, and you're going to get 20% off your first order of kibble. Well, the premise, though, is I would be talking to all these really successful dudes, and we'd be just talking shop about business, about life, and then inevitably what comes up is the, the family stuff. And I started to find so many career dads, business dads, who were just so happy to get a chance to talk about their philosophies, their learnings, the things that, the things that they got right, the things that they got wrong, the, like all the great stuff that dads rarely get a chance to talk about there's really a platform for it. And the context for every one of these interviews is my favorite part because it's like, okay, Michael, you've got, you've got this empire, right? CEO and founder of MediaLink. I was delighted to read your story in Frenemies, which is the book that I recommend to everyone when they want to learn about the media industry, the ad industry, all that stuff. And then I think most importantly, you're the father of three. Is that right? That's correct. But most importantly today, the grandfather of six. Grandfather of six, father of three. For you, clearly this is something you take pride in. And it's something where we've had casual conversations talking about business. And it's still, you find ways to bring it up, whether it's about your wife, your children, your grandchildren. What for you has been the greatest satisfaction of, of this, this legacy you have now in your children and your grandkids. I've always been somebody who believes you're supposed to uh, split your life into thirds at a minimum. And the way I was taught, those 
each section of those, each, each third, is supposed to represent your family, your business, and your community. But like a relationship, right. nothing's ever 50-50. So relationships have to be 90-10 one day, 80-20 the next day, 70-30. So it's not precise to, th- to say a third, a third, a third. But I think if, if you look at life through that lens, it, it gives you a better picture. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have your aperture set in that way and understand that, it, at least for me, it was never confusing. It wasn't a lesson I had to be taught. It was something that was natural. My family came first. That was it. But I was able to balance that responsibility and that desire Mm -hmm. and that need with also being an entrepreneur and starting businesses and, you know, going through the the good, the bad and the ugly. And, you know, my journey in 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 business was um, an interesting one. I had a circuitous road to end up here. As a result of that, I guess it made my family more important and more central. And I remember in life when I went through a rather tough time in business and there was a, a, a club that I was a member of, which I still am, but club that I was a member of and said, well, gee, maybe you shouldn't be a member of this club anymore. This is the, the club told you this. Did they send you a letter or is that well, like no, I got, I got a call from the like... president of the club and saying, you know, and I said, you know, I guess um, this is a case of false advertising. Huh. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, when I joined this club and I went through the process of becoming a member of this club and you were touting me on the value of this club, I remember the guy who was leading the membership committee saying, you know, this place should be considered like your family. So I said, when I got this call, I said, I guess that was false advertising. He says, but what do you mean? I said, well, because, you know, I've gone through a tough time in, in, at this point in my life. Families, my families ride or die. Yeah, my family's still here and they haven't asked me to leave. I said, so I guess you're full of shit. You weren't really part of my family. And you know something, Alexis, and it's a true story, my right hand to God? He, he said, Michael, you make a good point, and he never called me again. Well, to his credit, he owned up to it. Yeah, he did. And so, uh, you know, I, I, there is that, that moment where that's what family's about. And, and I'm very proud of the fact that, as you said, my family finds its way into every conversation. Because that's always central to me. But yeah, I'm an entrepreneur and I've built businesses and I've, you know, been fortunate to be, uh, you know, successful in the most important thing, which was my family. And then secondly, I was able to have the good fortune of being successful in business. But I've also been unsuccessful in business at different times. Thankfully, uh, it, you know, I haven't been unsuccessful in family. So if I had to pl- if I had if I had to pick a place to fail, yeah. I'm glad it was in business, not in in in, in family. As as an entrepreneur, there's especially that tension, right? Because it's one thing to be career driven and work for someone else. It's another thing to be career driven and your startup is your baby. We use that metaphor all the time, right? What were good tactics for you to realize I've shifted too far over here. Now it's time to dial back. This is how I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm making the right investment on the family side as well. First of all, uh, uh, you know, looking at the business of, of MediaLink and the business that, that, that I started you know, in this iteration of my life. And I think you know this, Alexis. I didn't, this wasn't my first rodeo. I, I started my career as a, a tax lawyer. And I did that for 10 years working primarily in the entertainment industry. I transitioned to a business career in, in um, entertainment. And then I found myself in the media business when I was 43 years old. And, I, you know, I was, I was very fortunate that recently I was inducted 
into the Advertising Hall of Fame, which was quite a, 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 a exciting thing and, and something I'm extremely proud of. And I stood up and I told a story at the uh, induction event, which was last month. And I said, you know, I have a particular pep talk I give to my teams all the time, and it has a baseball analogy to it. So I, the facts I use are these. And I say this a lot, and I've probably said it more than a thousand times in business. In baseball, in the history of Major League Baseball, 100 and some odd years, there's only 27 players but it was good. in the history of Major League Baseball that have achieved a lifetime batting average of 333 or better. So I'm not that good at math, but I know that means that you get hit one out of three times, you get up to bat. Yeah. And so think and about that. Ever. And you're and if, you if you've done that, yeah. you, you 27 people have done that in history, and they're all in the Hall of Fame. So the reason I tell it to you in the context of Hall of Fame, so I gave this speech to the Hall of Fame, and I said, um, so as I tell my team, just get a chance to get up to bat. Mm-hmm. And if you get a hit one out of three times, you end up in Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. So I said, from from my perspective, I started as a lawyer. I ended up in the entertainment industry, and then I got in the media and advertising business. Mm-hmm. And I was being inducted to the Hall of Fame. I said, I guess I got a hit one out of three times. Uh-huh. Nice. So, metaphorically, <laughs> that's life. You're not going to bat a thousand. Doesn't happen. I'll be real specific. Since the memory that exists in in sports, you know, memorabilia or rather a fact, Ted Williams hit 406 in 1941. So nobody's gotten close to batting a thousand. So I think if you look at again, if you look at business through that and even if you look at your family, not even if you look at your family through that, you're not going to get it right all the time. Yeah. But you got to throw shit against the wall and hope it sticks. Mm-hmm. And and again, if you look at it like that, I think it's a great lesson for entrepreneurs. That's good. And and so are there are there tactics you have or traditions that you've created that are really important to you around family and around finding that balance? Sure. I mean, we try to create traditions with our kids, yeah. and those traditions are not you know once every five years. When, when we're together, we make sure Sunday night we have dinner. We make sure that happens. Right on. And what we love to brag about, my wife and I, our kids do it now. With their families. Yeah. Uh, we also have never dictated, but we've also tried to make sure that at the holiday times that we, we create an environment where the kids all want to be together. And, you know, I have to say this um, immodestly, but, but pridefully, we get to be the envy of some of our friends who say, how is it you get your kids to always go away with you guys on the holidays and, you know, spend the winter break and Christmas vacation together? Uh, I said, well, uh, there's two parts to that. Sometimes we try to make the trips compelling and interesting. I mean, yeah. you know, but by the way, sometimes we sit around a, you know, proverbial campfire and do that as well. And we try to be parents and grandparents, but we also try to be friends. What do you mean by that? We had a very democratic, I don't mean politically speaking, I mean, uh, you know, democratic, egalitarian, you know, uh, family. My kids always had a right to an opinion. They always had a right to disagree. The one message was they always had to be respectful. So you don't have to agree with me. You can argue with me, but you have to be respectful. Even if it was like a chore? Even if it was a chore. So to encourage the debate process. Absolutely. And the critical thinking. And, and, and the other thing that, that my wife really instilled in our kids and I learned was two words. And again, this is something I, I brag about, but we tended to be, as our kids were growing up, 
the place where all the friends' parents would mm-hmm. come to say, what's happening with the kids? Like, mm-hmm. is Sally dating Johnny? And, you know, I hear this kid's into the wrong thing. And, yeah. you know, what's going on? And, you know, people would say, why did, what, what, what anointed you and Ronnie as, as that parent, those parents mm-hmm. that the other parents would come to for the truth about their own kids? And I'd say, well, there were two words that we used with our kids a lot. One was judgment and one was balance. And what we did was we tried to express to our kids that we knew they were going to do stuff. We knew they were going to try things. We knew that we did. We weren't perfect. I've never been somebody who tried to pretend that I was perfect. And, you know, because I just think that's baloney and and, and, and that doesn't work. And we live in a world today, certainly, where authenticity matters. And it matters not only in what brands and marketers do. It matters in what parents do with their kids and, and kids do with their parents. So we would always, you know, want honesty. And one of the ways you ensure honesty with your family, with your kids, is not to be judgmental. Like, I need you to tell me the truth. I'm not going to judge you, number one. And number two, when you're out in the world and you're going to do something, I know you're going to do it. Just use balance. Just balance, you know, don't do too much of it and don't do too little of it. You're going to do it. I know it. So if you think of judgment... And balance on the one hand, and on the other hand, those two play together. And I'll tell you something, and this is not ethnic at all because it's a universal concept, but I always also used a good amount of good old-fashioned Jewish guilt. But again, as I tell my Catholic guilt friends... Guilt is universal. Yeah, guilt is universal. As I tell my Catholic friends, you know, the only difference between Jews and Catholics is one. And they say, what's that? I say, well, the guilt is the same. It's just that you pay retail. <laughs> That's pretty good. Where it made its way into our rearing of our children and, and, and the relationship we created with our children, what I would always say or my wife would say, and also when you're going to make that decision out in the world, just for a moment... Try and incorporate into your thought process, what are mom and dad going to say? When I have a choice to make a left turn or a right turn or go straight, Mm. I hope that, you know, we hope that our kids were, you know, as they were going through uh, maturation, that they were going to know the right from wrong. We taught them that. But when they have that crossroads in life and business and whatever they're doing, it never hurt to have that on your shoulder. Right. That little bit of guilt on your shoulder, mm-hmm. like if I'm just if I'm a check, just to be a check, uh, yeah. and and it's a good check, and and know that when when we didn't have ride sharing, we didn't have Uber and Lyft and everything else, and our kids were going out and starting to drive and living in Southern California where my kids grew up, it's the biggest fear you have, but not just for kids, for anybody. And thankfully, with ride sharing and things today, and and the and the media about you know drinking and driving and whatever else. You know, it's it's thankfully less of a problem, but it certainly hasn't disappeared. But, you know, we would always be the ones who say, call us. I don't care what time it is. No judgment. Pick up the phone. We'll call. just get you home safe. Yeah. As I say in business, and this is something that applies to business and family, in fact, in equal parts. What I say is CEO of a company, my door doesn't have a sign on it that says Department of Good News. <laughs> It just, you know, all, all, all the news that's fit to print, you know, as they say, I, I, I need it because it's if I don't know, in the dark. if you, you don't know, you can't, you can't solve problems. Yeah. And, and bad news, Casey Wasserman told me his grandfather, Lou Wasserman, had an expression, which I'm sure I'll get wrong, but he said, bad news usually just gets worse, but it gets really bad if you don't know about it. You can't do anything to fix it. Do you remember formative moments with any of your 
uh, three kids that you feel were like that you're particularly proud of or that you just remember being really just formative uh, and important? You know, my dad used to say, he had a funny story. He used to say, he talked about the kid who was at 21 years old, turned and said, you know, when I was 16, my parents were stupid. It's shocking how smart they got in five years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And metaphorically, you can see where that goes. You know, that moment when the relationship goes from adversarial to friend. Mm -hmm. And again, when you're a parent, it's good to be friends, but it's also times you need to be a parent. And there were certain things that we would say to our kids, "Uh uh-uh, just not happening. You know, we were very open, as I said, and very egalitarian in terms of that. But, you know, there were times when I I remember one time with uh, my older son, who you know, and he was friends with the, my kids were very social and had lots of friends. And Alex came home with one friend, and I just didn't like the kid. I just thought the kid was, I just didn't like him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see anything socially redeeming about this kid. (laughs) All I saw was freaking trouble. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, and you can see it from a mile away. Oh, yeah. You could could sniff this coming from, you know, from nowhere. And I had a friend at the time yeah. that was kind of an odd guy and but lots of fun and it was a couple that my wife and I were very friendly with and he was a really 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 wealthy guy my friend and as a result of that we got some great benefits out of that we were a young couple we had young kids and these th- this friend of mine extraordinarily wealthy family yachts planes boats trains you know and we got to take amazing trips and do crazy things you know as a young couple that we would never have been able to do because of that and it was great but there wasn't a lot else socially redeeming about the guy that i'm talking about so when i looked at my son i said you know that kid i don't i don't think you should be hanging around with him i just i just think he smells trouble okay that's that's it and my son looked at me and he said okay dad but what about so-and-so? <laughs> and I said, got it. Fair point. Okay. I said, I got it. That's the egalitarian part. Right. I was giving my son really important advice, but he looked at me and said, you know, you're not perfect. Yeah. You got a friend that I don't see anything socially redeeming yeah. about. You get to go on cool trips. But I said, fair point. Yeah. I, I'm willing to concede in any, con- in, in any argument, in any conversation, the other person's point. And what I was proud of in that moment was that my son had the confidence. He wasn't being rude to me or disrespectful. He was just saying, hey, Dad, you're telling me blue and you're doing it. Like, why is blue okay for you and green's okay for me? Well, you're right. It's a fair point. Mm. I stand corrected. Mm. I have an appetite for this. I really do look forward to these conversations. How then do you find the way for giving the guidance when you still need to? Because I still remember probably it was middle school. There were two brothers that lived up the street, and my dad, first day he met them, was like, those two kids are no good. Like, do I don't want you hanging out with them. And I was still, I was in middle school, so he had a lot more oversight, too, over my life. But at the time, I just remember thinking, like, what the heck, Dad? Like, what do you know? And, and yes, yeah, sure enough, by the time I was in college, I remember someone bringing up those kids in the neighborhood, and I was like, oh, yeah, wow. In hindsight, I was totally right. And, yeah, those, those kids were no bueno. But when you have this balance between wanting to create independence and then still wanting to be like, look, let me give you the codes. Like almost like the cheat codes of saying like, look, you don't have to make this mistake. I I've made it before or your mother's made it before. Like, let's help you because we want nothing more than for you to be able 
to exercise these muscles as effectively as possible. And because and, you don't want to hand it to them because they need to make their own mistakes. And yet you still so want to be able to give some I'll guidance. give you another one. Yeah. And, and again, this is very personal. But growing up, our kids were very fortunate, you know, in terms of the, the lifestyle that we were able to maintain and, and achieve. Not without pitfalls, not without some speed bumps. But in the main, our kids grew up in, in, in rarefied air from that perspective. And I know there were friends of ours and even some of my own family who said, you're spoiling your kids. And Ronnie and I actually looked at it through a different lens entirely. We acknowledged from Jump Street that we indulged our children, but we were very confident that we didn't spoil them. And there's a big difference between those two words. Yeah, Yeah, they experienced some cool things. Yeah, they got to travel and live a certain way. And and again, in very privileged, you know, in very privileged environment. And to maintain sanity in that world is not always easy. And my kids grew up in Beverly Hills. And so they're surrounded by a lot of people, you know, in the entertainment business who have these kinds of, you know, just lives that don't make sense to, to... regular people and what we are proudest of is that as our kids now are 38 and 40 and 42 and are very thankfully responsible well-adjusted hard-working and i mean that not to say they didn't have their bumps and grinds trust me we do not have robotic kids they are anything but they're 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 humans and with all the foibles and all the but you know touch wood here at this stage of life we look back and say we were right and what the indulging did, it allowed us to share experiences with them and expose them to things. But in this case, it made them understand what those things were like and what those opportunities were like. And maybe that acted as a motivator for them in their own lives, not just for financial success, obviously, but for lifestyle. And, and the way we know that it worked is now that we have grandchildren and we see how our kids are raising their kids. Do you see the legacy? We do. Now, there's also the funny part. You know, my daughter will uh, come over to the house occasionally and say, Dad, because, you know, one of the things you always uh, argue about in most normal families is the air conditioning or the heat. It's too hot, it's too cold. Yes, no, my wife you know, and I have that discussion almost well, every you know, day. It is, it is yeah. a regular, recurring yeah. discussion. And, and for the record, it is always too hot. I don't yeah. care what she says. Yeah, exactly. Put on the AC. Yeah, exactly. Please. And and my deal is, well, exactly you, yeah. yeah, it's always too hot. And Just give me a couple degrees. Right, and, yeah. and so my daughter will occasionally come over and say, Dad, uh, she'll bring the kids over and she'll say, Dad, it's too cold in here. Mm. And I look at her and I say, hey, Brett, it's the same temperature it was in this house when you grew up and you turned out okay. <laughs> you know, and there's another thing about this generation of parents. Yeah. Everything's more systematized. So when my first grandchild, who's nine years old now, was born, I remember I was watching him one day and uh, we, this wasn't something that happened in my generation, in my kids, writing everything down. The baby went to sleep at 12, 12.02, oh, and, and the baby went to the bathroom and, you know, you at use, four. And you got to so, use the app. Exactly. Well, this is, this is nine years ago, okay? They didn't have an app for it nine years ago. Fair enough. And I remember my daughter saying to me, Dad, what time did Spencer go to sleep? I said, when he was tired. I don't know. What time did he go to the bathroom? I don't know when he needed to. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different approach, but. You know, the nice thing now is we have a little bit of hindsight because we're looking at how they're doing it. 
And, and you know, we don't always agree with everything they do, but that's okay. We didn't, they didn't agree with everything we did. Yeah. And, and so from that perspective, uh, I would say that's a part of it. And I'll tell you another part of it, Alexis. You, 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 you bring something up in my mind that was personal to me. I grew up too fast. My parents, I think, where my parents probably didn't do me a favor, I felt like I didn't have as much of a childhood. Because you were going to work? Uh, no, no, I was just exposed to a lot. I grew up, I see. I grew up too fast. Having older sisters, I grew up faster socially because I was experiencing... You know, I never, I never went through the part that I didn't like girls. Yeah, I liked girls from the from the Jump Street again because I grew up with sisters, so I was, I was, I was more in touch with my feminine side because I had a very strong-willed mom and I had two older sisters, and so I was, I was cool with that. You know, it also fueled one of my great fantasies in life, which I will share with you. Please. So my sisters used me as a prop growing up, and they taught me how to dance. So you know that at some point in my career, at some point in my life, I will be on Dancing with the Somebodies. I don't know. I'm not a star, but I'll be. On dancing with the advertising so you people. got moves i got moves all right i got moves okay i and can that, bring them but those are skills that your sisters instilled in you that will help you i mean every wedding you go to i mean every I mean, certainly here at can you got you got opportunities yeah i got some opportunities ah uh, are there things like that that for you and your children absolutely was, no no i made i made a decision that i wasn't going to do that part to my kids i was going to let my kids be kids a little longer on the one hand, growing up so fast and being treated like an adult. I'll give you an example. Both of my parents smoked cigarettes. So when I was a kid and people started to want to have a cigarette, my parents said, well, if you're going to do it, it's okay. You can do it at home. So I was given permission to smoke cigarettes when I was 14 years old. And you'd say, geez, that's crazy, right? In this day and age, of course. Now, I stopped smoking cigarettes 40 and a half years ago. But, and I stopped cold turkey the day after my daughter was born. It was our second child, but I said, you know what? This is fucked up. I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not doing that. And I stopped cold, and I was pretty heavy smoker. Her. Yeah, just because, hey, I'm, I've got a different level of responsibility. Now. I will tell you, that's just an indicative point about growing up too fast. So on one hand, you go, that's great. Your parents said, hey, you know, you're free to do it. They were, they, you know, in the main, I was raised by two really... Very caring, loving, great parents that I was extremely close with. So it wasn't like weird, like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, go have a smoke cigarette. Well, and the research still was not as robust as it no, was. No, def definitely not. Uh, yeah. and, and, and my point is, things like that that I thought were cool when I was a kid, when I was a parent, I'd say, no, you know, probably too much too soon. There was a wonderful movie a thousand years ago about the Barrymore family, the, you know, the acting family. And the, the character was talking about having too much too soon. I think that's a lesson that I learned. I got too much too soon as a kid, which means I probably lost some of the, the, the joy of youth because I was an adult when I was a kid. And so then what advice do you give to your children who are now parents to children your grandkids, who are in the internet age, where growing up too fast is, it seems like, the it's norm a, for yeah, anyone. It's a, it's a quaint conversation in this day and age in terms of the information that, that kids have access to and the, uh, and the way information flows. And therefore, you've got to really create a different filter for your for your children today. We didn't need one as much with our kids. Certainly didn't need one with much with my generation. But in this day and age, that filter matters. That filter matters because the kids can learn and see and do everything. And the joy of youth can disappear 
all too soon. And I think that's a, a, a loss. You can't re-gift that. You either get it or you don't. And when it's gone, it's and, and when it's gone, it's gone. So I think that's a real important lesson. That might sound like it flies in the face of exposing your kids to things and experiences. Well, I think they're, they're different. They're very different. It's, it, it is one thing to be fortunate enough to be able to expose your kids to travel where they get to see parts of the world they may not ever see, uh, or at least not until they're much older, and get to see how, you know, actually we share so much in common with so many people. There are far more things we share in common with people all over the world than things that are, are make us different, Absolutely. right? And that perspective seems incredibly valuable. Um, and then there are plenty of others you can find, you know, with a, a browser these days that, that, that end the innocence of a child so much faster now. That's, you know, Alexis, you, you, you helped me there. That's what I was talking about. It's that loss of innocence. I don't know if it's growing up too fast. The loss of innocence is you can't be innocent again. You can only be innocent once. I don't, I mean, not in the context of guilty or innocent. We're using innocent. You know, it's like I said to my, uh, a friend of mine who's British the other day, innocence is a word like uh, uh, the way a, a Brit would use the word quite. When a Brit says quite, it can mean so many things. Oh, it's got, it's loaded? Yeah, just think about that. How many times have you heard a Brit say quite? That could be telling you to bollocks, or, oh, or it could be telling you, you know, the all other, the, you know, it's the, one the of those. The subtext and the intonation yeah, and everything else. Yeah. Okay, that'll be the next podcast is all just inferring British uh, words. Yeah, you know, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant means two things. They're generally both it's good. Really, but, yeah. You know? Uh, well, then, so are there any other things you would want? a parent maybe advice that you gave to your kids you know they they're like hey you're a grandpa or you're a grandpa again right <laughs> and and what is that what was that core advice that you wanted to make sure you told them explicitly as they went on that journey well again it goes back to those words i talked about balance and judgment they're critical yeah. and, you know do do with your kids hopefully you know a better job in certain areas but do as good a job as we think we did with you yeah. uh, you know that's not being egotistical because god we're far from perfect but i'll tell you another little anecdote when um when alex was born and he was 10 days old he got a fever it was pretty scary because you Y'all still in the hospital or back home no he was home and you know normal childbirth no issues thank god and he got a fever and called the doctor and said geez got a fever and the doctor said, well, that's highly unusual because a 10-day-old child, the antibodies and the immune system is a combination of the moms and the kids and at its, 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 at its highest. Yeah, and, and so, you know, well, what do you think? He said, well, you know, one of, the, one of the indications of a child with a fever at that age could be meningitis. And, of course, we freaked out and we took Alex back to the hospital and they hooked him up some wires, and, which I, I now know. With a baby, at least back then, if they had to give a baby um, intravenous, they couldn't put it in the baby's arms because the baby's arms are flailing still. So they put it in the baby's head. And so they come in with a razor to give to cut his hair. Yeah. And I run in and I go, stop. No, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm taking him for his first haircut. It's not here. It's <laughs> nice. not going to be at Cedar sinai My job. Yeah. I'm going to do this right. Yeah. It's going to be a real haircut. It's not going to be at Cedar sinai <laughs> And the guy said, hey, calm down, buddy. And, you know, and I said, excuse me, but I got a 10 day old son, but more importantly, I'm a 10 day old father. Mm. So you learn as you go. Mm. There's, there are books, but there's really no book. There are apps, but there's really no app. And that Papa Bear instinct is real. And, and I see it. I see the Mama Bear version of my wife. I see it in myself. We had to take uh, Olympia to the hospital for a little break, broke her wrist. It was a minor, minor break. 
It was the first time I'd seen her really in distress in a kind of pain that, you know, as a parent, you want to do, you will do anything to solve. You will pay any amount of money. You will, you'll take whatever limb off of yourself to make it better, right? And that was my 10-day-old dad sort of moment where I really, like, I felt viscerally this need to solve whatever problems needed to get in the way by any means necessary, and I needed to take charge of that situation. And then had to catch myself. Uh, it also didn't help that I was in France and I don't really speak French. And so had to catch myself as I'm working through our translator to try to describe and, and dictate and realize, okay, like I'm not, I'm not the doctor here. I'm going to trust everyone's going to do their best work. I want everyone here to know, like, we're going to do whatever we need for this little girl. And like, you just tell me and I'm there to do it. But, uh, it's a, it's a weird, it's a strange feeling. You cannot explain it to someone. And then when you feel it for the first time or when you really feel it triggered, it is uh, it's a life-changing sensation. Well, you're flying without a net quite often when you have kids. Yeah. And, you know, the, the old expression. I can't, even, yeah. I can't really Google it. If I Google it, the results are not helping me. <laughs> That's right. It's like the, the guy who wrote a book years ago about how to win money in Las Vegas. And someone said, you think he knows? I said, no, because if he knew, he wouldn't have to write a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, he'd be he'd be sitting on uh, the if Riviera. He built the casino. Yeah, that's, exactly. Uh, that's, that's the short version of the book, right? Yeah, yeah, but but you know, it's 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 about that flying without a net. You got to learn as you go. You can take advice from people, and you can you can read books, and you can do all of that. But you got to learn as you go because life is not. When I am judgmental about certain things, what I do judge always is people in unscripted moments. Mm. You know, it's easy when someone's reading off a script. And then you know what they're going to say. But life is about unscripted moments. Very good point. And so that's how you have to learn. you got to learn by doing. And it's the kind of thing that I, I, I have noticed. People who aren't lucky enough to have children. People who don't understand that. And it's a sad thing, I think. Maybe to others, some it's not. But to me, to not ever experience that is sad. If, if you're not fortunate enough to, or God knows physically sometimes you can't. But, you know... That's a thing that I would uh, I would say would be, from my perspective, uh, uh, something in life that you, you you miss out on. But they don't understand the concept sometimes about that old expression. One is only as unhappy as their least happy child, right? Did I get it right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, when one finger hurts, your whole hand hurts. So that's a, you know, when, when you talk about that feeling of being powerless when your child is in stress, it's, as you know, it's real. But it doesn't change. Here's what I will tell you. You know, newsflash. You know, your kids can be two months old, two years old, or 200 years old. You never stop, you know, not at least we don't, you know. I think you're right. I'm, I'm bracing myself for it. But, uh, but Michael, I very much appreciate this. Uh, of all the places to be talking about uh, business dad life, the beach at Cannes is not a bad one. So thank you for having us. Well, Alexis, thank you. I appreciate it. Pleasure, dude. great, buddy. Thanks, man. Business Dad is brought to you by Initialize. Initialize invests in early stage technology companies and helps founders avoid the thousands of landmines that can cause failure. Visit initialize.com to find out more.